Hey everybody, it's Brock Falk, and I want to thank you for listening to this message from Heritage Church of Christ. We would be thrilled to share more content like this with you and make it easy for you to share it with others. You can find more messages like this on our podcast, or you can download our smartphone app by searching for Heritage Church of Christ in your app store. But most importantly, I hope this message encourages you to take a next step toward a thriving relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. It would require us to go up to the chalkboard at the front of the room and diagram sentences in front of the class. And I always dreaded my turn at the chalkboard because I I just wasn't sure exactly what a participle was or what an infinitive was or what a clause was. I wasn't really confident in my answers about that. I wasn't real confident about where commas and semicolons and hyphens were supposed to go. I've done a lot of writing since seventh grade, high school, college, and now in my weekly preparation for preaching. And the honest truth is I'm still kind of unclear on some of the rules of grammar. I know that there are probably some teachers in the room and one in the sound booth that this drives crazy from time to time. But one of the things I have learned is that some of the rules I thought I understood about writing and grammar aren't really rules at all. There are so many exceptions to the rules and so many style changes that have happened that the rules I learned don't always apply. I remember learning that you're not supposed to end a sentence with a preposition. I remember hearing that you should never write in the passive voice. I remember being told that you should include two spaces after a period when you're typing, and I remember very clearly being told that you were not supposed to use an Oxford comma when you were making a list, and as it turns out, all of those rules were wrong. All of those rules were wrong. But the one rule I learned that turned out to be the most mistaken grammar or or language art rule and I'll bet you remember learning it too. It was the rule about spelling that said, I comes after E except after C, right? Yeah, somebody lied to you too. <laughs> this is not a rule. I memorized that rule and I believed that it was going to be really helpful to me in spelling. But then I discovered that sometimes that rule doesn't apply. There are so many inconsistencies to that rule that I before E can't even really be considered a rule anymore. In fact, some people enjoy making light of all of the irregularities. One person I found online posted this. They said a new rule could be I before E except after C or when your foreign neighbor Keith receives eight counterfeit beige sleighs from feisty caffeinated weightlifters. Wouldn't that be weird? Sometimes, as it turns out, The rules that you've been taught don't always apply. 150 years ago, Dr. Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., the father of one uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes that would eventually be a Supreme Court justice, Dr. Holmes delivered a speech at the graduation ceremony of the Bellevue Hospital College in Manhattan. And he was explaining to these graduates, these newly minted doctors who had just received their medical school diplomas, 
He was explaining to them from his own experience that they were about to go out into the world and begin the process of forgetting most of what they had learned in medical school. And he said, at the same time that you're forgetting all of the details and the intricacies that you learned in the laboratory and in the lecture hall, he says, you're going to be gaining the practical experience, the practical education that can only come with time and practice. He himself was an experienced medical doctor and he remembered sitting in those seats at that graduation ceremony and everything that had happened since then, since his own medical school training. And he told these graduates, he said, the young man knows the rules, but the old man knows the exceptions. And there's some wisdom in that. You know, religion has always been associated with rules, hasn't it? Religious people often have a lot to say about the right way and the wrong way to do things, about the right way to live and the wrong way to live. Sometimes, sometimes you could be forgiven for being under the impression that religion is all about abiding by a strenuous, complicated set of rules. But I want you to know that when we look at the life of Jesus, when we study the life of Jesus, we see episode after episode, story after story, when the people who taught the rules accused Jesus of breaking the rules. And when they accused Jesus of breaking the rules, Jesus never said, oh, forgive me, I'm so sorry. Jesus responded with a new rule. Jesus responded to their accusation and their indictment with rules of a different nature. He didn't allow himself to get bogged down in the legalistic minutia of rule keeping like so many religious leaders of his time and of our time. But instead, Jesus simplified and clarified what the rules that God had given to humanity were really all about. You know, for the last few weeks here at Heritage, I've been sharing a series of messages that I've called Tell a Good Story. And in this series, we're exploring what it means to use your life to tell a good story, to tell a good life story. And you might expect, you might expect that in a sermon at a church, from a pastor, that one of the major keys to telling a good life story that we would hone in on around here would be obeying all the rules. But today I want to show you how Jesus had a different priority, how Jesus had a different focus, and about how his ministry was different. And I think this focus of Jesus is part of what makes the Jesus story so good. 
We're going to look at a passage together today in the sixth chapter of the book of Luke. If you've got a Bible with you, and I saw three young kids uh, from one family this morning walking in all carrying Bibles. And I just wanted to tell you how excited that makes me. That's so cool. I realize a lot of us brought in Bibles on our smartphones, and that counts. That is okay. But if you've got a Bible with you, turn it on or open it up to the book of Luke. It's one of the early books in the New Testament portion of your Bible. And Luke is one of the four accounts in the New Testament that tell the story of Jesus' time in the flesh as a human. In fact, the story in Luke that we're going to look at today is retold multiple times in the Bible. Three out of the four gospel writers tell this particular story of this day in Jesus' life. And this particular story is about a time when Jesus went to a synagogue. You could think of that like a Jewish neighborhood church. He went to a synagogue to teach, and it was on the Sabbath day. Now, it, it helps, excuse me, it helps if you understand the basics of what the Sabbath is all about. God instituted and commanded observance of the Sabbath day way back when the law was given to Moses, hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. The Sabbath is a holy day, and it occurs once every week. And according to the Old Testament writings and the instructions from God, the Sabbath exists to allow all of the people and even the animals to rest from their week's work. The purpose of the Sabbath was so that people would benefit from the gift and the opportunity and the privilege of rest. Rest is the objective. Rest is God's instruction. And God said on the Sabbath day, don't do any work. But over time, as the centuries went by, people sought more clarification. You know how people do, right? They want to know the details. They want to know the specifics. They want to know the, in, the ins and outs of what's this rule all about. And so people tried to get greater, greater clarity on well, what exactly constitutes work? If God says don't do any work, what's that mean? And that was one of the topics that the ancient Jewish leaders, even before the time of Christ on earth, it was one of the topics that they focused a lot of attention on. They tried to answer that question together. There was a lot of back and forth debate. In fact, eventually they artic articulated 39 categories of work. And they elaborated on all of the details so that it covers, their description covers almost every aspect of daily life. Orthodox Jews, even today, still observe Sabbath with that same kind of intensity. Although there are some Jewish communities who have found some creative ways to broaden their definitions of work and home to make life easier. For example... One of the definitions of work in the Jewish tradition is stated this way. It says, work is taking anything from one domain to another. So if you wanted to travel to the synagogue to be a part of the Sabbath services, you wouldn't be able to carry anything with you, which means you couldn't carry your house keys. You couldn't carry your baby. You couldn't carry the the, you know, diaper bag. You couldn't carry anything with you. It would be a violation of the Sabbath. And so some 
Orthodox Jewish communities in major cities have worked together to come up with a solution. This is a true story. In cities like Dallas and New York, there are sections of the city where the Jewish community maintains a perimeter, a boundary, that's actually made out of fishing line. And it's attached to buildings and fences and the tops of telephone poles, and it creates a perimeter. It creates an enclosure around the community. And the perimeter is called the Eruv, and since it surrounds an entire area, a neighborhood where these Orthodox Jewish people live, it creates a domain where people can walk around and carry things without violating the Sabbath. Because the rule is you can't carry things from one domain to another. And I tell you that to give you an idea of how seriously the Jewish people treat the Sabbath day. And it was just as serious, if not more serious, in Jesus' time. And so in the story that we're going to read together, the fact that this episode happens on a Sabbath day is the, it's the focus of the whole story. And we're going to get to see and hear Jesus' perspective on the rigidity of God's law. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, Luke says, On another Sabbath, Jesus entered a synagogue to teach, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. We think that probably means paralyzed or shriveled in some way. Verse 7, the legal experts and the Pharisees, with whom Jesus has already begun to be in trouble, even by the sixth chapter of Luke, the legal experts and the Pharisees, which are the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, they were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. They were looking for a reason. Don't miss that. They were looking for a reason to bring charges against him. They've already decided what they want to do. They've just got to figure out how they're going to get it done at this point. And so what Luke was telling us is that this day, this occasion, this episode in Jesus' life, this was a test. It may have even been a setup. Perhaps the Pharisees had invited this man, planted this man at the synagogue with his paralyzed hand so that they could test Jesus. Or it's possible that maybe he was just a regular attender at the synagogue and he was none the wiser as to what the Pharisees were up to. But either way, this was a man who presumably was in stable condition. His hand was problematic. His hand was unusable. But his problem wasn't obviously urgent. You see, the law made exceptions and allowances for emergencies. If there was somebody who was in imminent danger, somebody who was facing a life and death situation, if there was a woman who was in labor, you were allowed to help in a situation like that, even on the Sabbath, not violate the rules. But this man's problem wasn't urgent, at least in the eyes of the Pharisees, and so they were watching, paying close attention, looking closely to see what Jesus, who was known to be a healer, they wanted to see what would he do when confronted with this kind of situation on a Sabbath day. Verse 8 says, Jesus knew their thoughts. Jesus knew exactly what they were up to. This wasn't a big surprise. And so he said to the man with the withered hand, 
get up and stand in front of everyone. And he got up and stood there. And, and Jesus is not trying to be sneaky. Jesus wants everybody there to see exactly what he's about to do and to hear exactly what he's about to say. Verse 9 says, Jesus said to the legal experts and the Pharisees, he's spoken to the man with the withered hand, he turns his attention toward these people who are trying to trap him, and he asks them this question. Here's a question for you. He says, is it legal? Which, that's a rule-keeping kind of question, isn't it? Is it legal on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And they didn't say anything. And Jesus was looking around at all of them. Mark, one of the other gospel writers, said that Jesus was angry with them. He said to all, he, he looked around at all of them and then he says to the man with the withered hand, he says, stretch out your hand. And he did. And his hand was made healthy. Jesus didn't touch him. Just talked to him. And the man's hand was made healthy. And they, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the legal experts, they were furious and they began talking with each other about what to do to Jesus. How are we going to get rid of this problem, they asked. Now this story makes sense when you realize and when you can put yourself in that scenario and imagine what a big deal the Sabbath was to the people in Jesus' community. Sabbath observance was the most obvious sign of a person of faith in that, in that culture. Jesus observed the Sabbath faithfully. Sabbath observance was the mark of someone who was trying to be consistent about their faith. You ever think about what it is? How, how do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? I, I'd love to say that my neighbors know I'm a Christian because of the way that we interact and the way that they feel served. But truth is, one of the things that tells them I'm a Christian is that they see me get up and leave every Sunday morning, right? They see my car get up and go and my family's car come a little while later and they see us wearing church t-shirts. I mean, it's one of the marks of our faithfulness is our, our participation in this weekly ritual. And that's what Sabbath was like in Jesus' culture, but Jesus didn't comply with the Pharisees' interpretation of Sabbath limitations. He didn't accept their cautious expansion of the law that kept people from being helpful based on their fear of offending God. Jesus knew Jesus knew that the Sabbath was created for the sake of people. The Pharisees believed that the Sabbath was all about restrictions and limitations. They were paying close attention to Jesus that day and they were trying to observe whether he would stay inside the boundary, the perimeter that they had created. They judged Jesus' faithfulness based on how well he kept their 
rules. But Jesus, Jesus was first and foremost interested in people. Jesus was passionate about people. It wasn't about limitations and boundaries for Jesus. It wasn't about regulations and rule keeping for Jesus. Jesus was concerned with people. Jesus was concerned with the well-being of people, which is what the Sabbath was created for anyway. It was created for the well-being of people. And so when Jesus was faced with an opportunity to help somebody on the Sabbath, you know what Jesus did? He helped. He helped. Rather than put it off for another day, rather than saying, hey, buddy, come back tomorrow and I'll help you out. Jesus put people first. And it's one of the ways that Jesus used his life to tell a good story. You know, there was a similar story that came out of Atlanta a few years ago in the middle of the busy Christmas travel season. December 18th, 2017 was a busy Sunday at Hartsfield-Jackson International, which is the busy airport in Atlanta, one of the busiest airports in the world already. But on that day, December 18th, there was a fire in one of the mechanical rooms at the airport and the fire knocked out power to the entire facility. Knocked out power during the Christmas travel season to the entire airport and the shutdown that followed would last almost 12 hours. Passengers had to be evacuated from the terminals and the people who couldn't find hotel rooms to stay in nearby ended up being shuttled on the airport buses and taken to the Georgia International Convention Center. And it was this logistical nightmare as airport officials and city leaders scrambled to provide emergency assistance to all the people who were stranded. Did I mention this was on a Sunday? Well, the mayor called the CEO of Chick-fil-A. And you already know about Chick-fil-A's corporate policy, don't you? You already know about Chick-fil-A's corporate policy that says all their stores are closed on Sundays. For over 75 years, Chick-fil-A's have been closed on Sunday in order to give their employees a day of rest and a day to worship if they choose. They're so serious about this policy at Chick-fil-A that even the Chick-fil-A location that's inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, where the Atlanta, Hawk, the Atlanta Falcons play on Sunday almost every week, that location's closed during those NFL games. But on that Sunday in December of 2017, Chick-fil-A operators all over South Atlanta called their teams into work on short notice on a Sunday afternoon and asked them to heat up the fryers and they cooked over 5,000 chicken sandwiches and gave them away at the convention center to all of those stranded travelers. It's corporate policy to be closed on Sunday. But the purpose of the policy is to help people. The whole point of the rule is to help people and sometimes helping people means you make an exception to the policy. Jesus posed a question to the legal experts and the Pharisees. Is it legal? In other words, what's the policy? Is it legal on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? Is it legal on the Sabbath to save life or to destroy life? And the Pharisees didn't answer the question, chickens. They didn't answer the question. They, they knew that the right answer was not, it's legal to do evil. 
They knew they shouldn't say that, but they were paralyzed themselves. They were immobilized by the fear of helping because they misunderstood God's priorities. They were paralyzed by a fear of doing good because they misunderstood the heart of God. Jesus knew that it would be wicked, it would be evil to look at somebody who's suffering and ignore their needs simply because of the day of the week. And so Jesus, in the middle of his own Sabbath observance, Jesus is in the middle of observing the Sabbath himself. And this man is presented to him. This man crosses his path. And Jesus, in the middle of his own faithfulness, used his day of rest to bring hope and relief to somebody else. He didn't resist. He didn't delay. He didn't put off the chance to help the man with the paralyzed hand because Jesus was trying to show us that it's never the wrong time to put people first. It's never the wrong time to put people first. I read a true story from ESPN about a high school basketball game that occurred in 2009 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. John Tell Franklin, who would later go on to play football at Texas A&M, John Tell Franklin was one of the players from the home team, and he had lost his mother to cancer just a couple of days before this game. In fact, the coach for his team was late to the game because he was at the home visiting John Tell and his family. But as this game came up on this weeknight, John Tell decided that he wanted to try to play. And so he showed up to the gym after the game was already in progress. In fact, the game was in the second quarter. And since the coach had not been expecting him to show up, had thought he was going to stay home with his family during their grieving period there, the coach had not put John Tell's name on the pregame roster that he turned in to the officials. Now, he wanted to put John Tell into the game. He asked the referees about it at the scoring table, and the referees said that if they put John Tell into the game, they would have to be charged with a technical foul, and the other team, the visiting team, would receive two free throws. The visiting team overheard the conversation, heard about the situation, and they went to the referees themselves, and they said, we don't... We don't want that foul to be called. We want to decline that penalty. But the referee said we have no choice. That's what the rule says has to happen. And so the coach of John Tell's team decided to put him into the game. As soon as he crossed the out-of-bounds line and walked onto the court, a technical foul was called, and the visitors were awarded two free throws. And senior point guard Darius McNeil from DeKalb High School went to the free throw line, and even though he was usually a really consistent shooter, he intentionally shot both free throws so that they landed two feet in front of him, well short of the basket. And you hear that story and you think, well, the visiting team would have been well within their rights to shoot those free throws and try to get ahead. The rules are the rules. The rules are there for a reason. Everybody's playing by the same rules. This is just how the game goes. But that visiting team 
that night at that game in Milwaukee knew something better than the rules. They knew that people are more important than rules. They knew the value of putting people first. And you know, it's really easy. It's really easy for Christians to get all caught up and focusing all of our religious energy on getting rules right. It's really easy for Christians to become obsessed with our doctrine, trying to make sure that we've dotted every I and crossed every T. We want so badly to make God proud. We want so badly to work out our own salvation. We want so badly to ensure our own salvation. Sometimes it can be tempting to become obsessed with the regulations and the boundaries of religion. But whenever that happens, whenever religious folks start obsessing over minutiae, it always happens at the expense of people. It always hurts people. People get forgotten. People get overlooked. People get excluded. People get ignored. People get put off to another day. People are seen as a problem and a nuisance rather than an opportunity and a sibling. When we start worrying so much about all the details of the law, trying to figure out exactly where the boundaries are and making sure that nobody else crosses the boundaries that we've put up. It always happens at the expense of people. But that's just not the religion Jesus taught us how to live. That's not the story that Jesus was telling. Jesus was showing us with his words and his deeds that people come first people come first Jesus was showing us how to tell a better story you know at the end of Jesus's life they arrested him and they put him on trial and they brought in witnesses to talk about how Jesus had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And Jesus must have just laughed inside as he thought, I am the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and I are one. They brought these witnesses up to the trial and the witnesses lied on the stand. They broke the rules. Jesus knew they broke the rules. Jesus knew about the extent of their offense. He knew they were the ones who were committing a crime. You know what he did? He stayed quiet. He just let them talk. Let them do what they were going to do. And they found him guilty and they paraded him in front of a bunch of people and they took him to the 
ruler that Rome had put in place to keep the peace in that region and they talked him into finding this guy guilty to and sentencing him to death and then they took him out and they made a public spectacle of him and the entire time Jesus knew that it was all a lie. Jesus knew. And you know what he did? He stayed quiet. He let them do it. Let them do what they were going to do. And they stole all of his clothes put a crown of thorns on his head and they started to whip him. They started to beat him within an inch of his life and he knew the entire time that it was all totally unjustified that he was the only one out there who wasn't breaking any rules. You know what he did though? Stayed quiet. Let them do what they were going to do. And when they dragged him out there to that hill and they had that cross that they laid him down on and they started to put those nails in his hands. You know what he did. Stayed quiet and let him do what they were going to do. And you know why? Because he decided that people were more important than rules to him. He decided you were more important than the rules. He decided I was more important than the rules. And so here we are. And this is our story. This is our song, praising our Savior all the day long, right? This is our story, a story of somebody that said the people are more important than the rules to me.